What's up, world? I'm Cameron McKinney, and this is Pop Culture Spotlight, a podcast about the career of actress Dakota Johnson, the Apple TV Plus series, The After Party, and the movie The King's Man. First, let's talk about the career of Dakota Johnson. Johnson began her career with small parts in the movies The Social Network, 21 Jump Street, and The Five-Year Engagement, before starring in Fifty Shades of Grey with Jamie Dornan, which of course made her well-known. The first one made over $560 million at the box office. The other two films in the series made significantly less, but still made close to $400 million each. These films were destroyed critically from the little of them I've seen they are not very good but it has absolutely nothing to do with Dakota Johnson during the time of these movies Johnson also appeared in Black Mass with Johnny Depp who was playing infamous mobster Whitey Bulger and in a bigger splash with Tilda Swinton and Ray Fiennes both of these films are excellent and showcase Johnson's range as an actress if these last 15 years have shown us anything about movies, it's this, that the first big role an actor gets is not the role that's going to define them. Just look at what's happening this year in Hollywood. Kristen Stewart is nominated for an Oscar for playing Princess Diana and Spencer. Robert Pattinson next week is going to be in the biggest movie on planet Earth, The Batman. Jamie Dornan was getting awards recognition for his film Belfast, and Dakota Johnson had an excellent year of her own, but for the longest time we only thought of these people as the franchises that made them famous in the first place. And I think we went all about it the wrong way. These actors have used these tentpole movies to get more interesting jobs. They've gone about it the right way. In the years since Fifty Shades has ended, Johnson has starred in the remake of the horror film Suspiria, reteaming with Tilda Swinton, the thriller Bad Times at the El Royale with an all-star cast that includes Chris Hemsworth, John Hamm, Cynthia Erivo, and Jeff Bridges, The Peanut Butter Falcon, an inspirational film about a man with Down Syndrome, Our Friend with Jason Segel and Casey Affleck, where Johnson is playing a woman who is dying from cancer, The High Note with Tracy Ellis Ross and Kelvin Harrison Jr., a film about an assistant to a famous musician who aspires to be a producer, and The Lost Daughter with Olivia Colman and Jesse Buckley, where a woman on vacation relates to the hardships a young mother is going through. And in all the movies I just mentioned, Dakota Johnson gives a terrific performance and is the most interesting thing on screen. She has indescribable movie star qualities. My favorite performance from Dakota Johnson is in the movie Peanut Butter Falcon. It was the first time I was impressed by her and it changed my perception of her and those are the best performances. After seeing that, I realized Johnson is one of the best young Hollywood stars and she has great chemistry with the star of the film, Zach Gottsman. Sagan. Her most underrated performance comes in the movie The High Note. The premise of this movie is ridiculous and the film is predictable but Johnson gives a movie star performance worth watching and that's what a movie star does. They make average to below average movies work and I love her scenes with co-star Kelvin Harrison Jr. That movie star quality I'm talking about that Dakota Johnson has is very rare like you want to see her in every situation imaginable. 
unimaginable. Those type of movie stars don't exist anymore. I'm talking about like the Julia Roberts type. No, Dakota Johnson is not as good as Julia Roberts, but she does have that movie star. I want to see you in any situation. I want to see you in every type of movie. And as an audience member, you're always happy to see Dakota Johnson. The best year of Johnson's career is 2015. In the middle of making the Fifty Shades films, which were publicly being mocked, she worked with two great filmmakers, Scott Cooper on Black Mass and Luca Guadagnino on A Bigger Splash. Her and Guadagnino would later work again on Suspiria. This is the smartest route to go if you want to be good in movies. Work with brilliant filmmakers. And that's what Dakota Johnson has done in recent years. In 2021, she worked with first-time filmmaker Maggie Gyllenhaal on The Lost Daughter, a film that a lot of people think is the best movie of last year. 2021 was also the first year that Dakota Johnson was getting Oscar buzz for her performance in The Lost Daughter. Interestingly enough, her co-star Jesse Buckley got a Best Supporting Actress nomination instead. I do think that in the next five years, Dakota Johnson is going to get an Oscar nomination. She is that big and she is on a fantastic run of really high quality films. Johnson's next projects includes the movies Cha Cha Real Smooth, Am I Okay from comedian Tig Notaro, Persuasion, a Jane Austen adaptation with Henry Golding and Suki Waterhouse, and Johnson is set to play the comic book character Madam Web in a movie. The character is closely associated with Spider-Man. I also find this to be a new interesting pattern for young movie stars. Johnson got famous for the Fifty Shades movie, then she stayed away from big studio films. Now she's returning to them in a big way, starring in a big comic book movie. It's almost like what Robert Pattinson did. Robert Pattinson was in the Twilight movies, then he did a bunch of weird indies. Now in the last few years, he's been in Tenet and The Batman. It's almost like movie stars are using indies to build up their credibility, and then they return to big studio movies and return back to the limelight. Whatever Johnson's career strategy is, it's really working. Here's a list of noteworthy Dakota Johnson performances. Black Mass, A Bigger Splash, Bad Times at the Al Royale, The Peanut Butter Falcon, Our Friend, The High Note, and The Lost Daughter. Now let's switch gears and talk about the Apple TV Plus series, The After Party. Here's a quick synopsis. Xavier, a famous pop star, is killed during the after party of his high school reunion, and Detective Danner interrogates each of the guests to get their side of what happened. The show stars an all-star cast of comedic talent. Sam Richardson from Veep and Detroiters, Ben Schwartz from Parks and Rec, This Is Where I Leave You, and Sonic the Hedgehog, Tiffany Haddish from Girls Trip and The Carmichael Show, Ike Barinholtz from Neighbors and Blockers, Zoe Chow from Love Life and The High Note, Alana Glazer from Broad City, John Early from Search Party, and Dave Franco from the 21 Jump Street films Warm Bodies and Neighbors. The creatives behind the show are Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Miller directed all the episodes. If you're a comedy fan, you know Lord and Miller. They've made the animated films Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, Lego Movie, and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. The live-action comedies 21 and 22 Jump Street and the television show The Last Man on Earth. They've never been a part of anything bad and usually what they make is great. I really wish we got their version of the Han Solo movie. What's special about this particular show, The After Party, is that each episode focuses on one specific character and each is a different genre. For instance, the Ben Schwartz episode 
episode is a musical and the Zoe Chow episode is animated. You get to see how each of the characters view one another and you get to see these great performers play in so many different tones. Lately, my favorite shows to watch are the ones that are hard to describe to other people. Like if a show is so simple you can describe it in one sentence, I'm probably not a fan of that show. It's hard to describe the after party. You just have to watch it and you have to enjoy it. Those are my favorite shows, the ones that are undescribably good, and that's what Lord and Miller do. They make undescribably great things. Like, you can't describe the Lego movie to someone. They just have to watch it. You can't describe 21 Jump Street. They just have to watch it. The other thing I love about The After Party is it's a rare comedy with a plot that you need to follow each episode instead of the classic sitcom formula where the characters don't change and it doesn't matter what episode you're on. More focused comedy should be made. I love a comedy with a great narrative. The shows that are thriving right now on TV are the ones that are building up to something. I think gone are the days of let's watch Friends and it doesn't matter where they're at. It doesn't matter what year they're in. I want a show where I have to follow what's going on and know where I am. In the plot, plot matters, especially in television when you're investing all of that time. The whodunit comedy is thriving now more than ever. You have Knives Out, which was a box office hit. You have Only Murders in the Building, one of the best shows of 2021, and now The After Party. And all three pay homage to the classics while also experimenting creatively. They trick you with classic tropes, and then you go in a totally different direction. All three have also been great acting showcases. Ana de Armas is a revelation in Knives Out. Selena Gomez has never been better in Only Murders in the Building. And in the after party, you have Sam Richardson and Ben Schwartz who form a great comedic duo. Zoe Chow is fantastic, especially in her episode where there are multiple versions of her character. And Dave Franco shines as an ego-obsessed pop star. I especially like it when he comes up with a cheesy song lyric and sings a voice memo to record it. Right now as I record this podcast, I have not seen the final episode of The After Party. It is coming the Friday after this podcast is released, so it is possible the show has a really stupid ending, but for right now, I am loving everything that I am getting from this show. I love the multiple tones that the show is giving. I think this show has the best cast of 2022 so far, and I have really high hopes for how this show is going to end. I have all the faith in the world of Lord and Miller to end this show with a bang. Now let's switch gears one final time and talk about The King's Man. Here's a quick synopsis. In 1902, after losing his wife, Orlando will do anything to protect his son, including forming a group of undercover spies to prevent a catastrophic war. The film stars Ray Fiennes, Harris Dickinson, Gemma Arton, Jamon Hansu, Matthew Good, Tom Hollander, Reese Evans, Daniel Bruhl, Charles Dance, Aaron Taylor-Johnson, Valerie Packer, and Stanley Tucci. The standout performances come from Ray Fiennes, who always brings it. He's one of the most consistent actors of his generation, and in this, he has great chemistry with Harris Dickinson, who plays his son. The other performance of this movie I really like comes from Tom Hollander, who is not a super well-known actor, but he's been brilliant in a lot of things. I became a fan after seeing him in the sequels to the Pirates of the Caribbean. He's also been in Pride and Prejudice, Hannah, Breathe, and Bohemian Rhapsody. In this film, he plays three different roles. Ray 
Eve Fines will next star in the movies The Forgiven with Jessica Chastain and The Menu with Anya Taylor-Joy and Nicholas Holt. Let's talk about the director of The King's Man, Matthew Vaughn. I'm a massive fan. He's made some of my all-time favorite films, Layer Cake, Stardust, Kick-Ass, X-Men First Class. He's made so many great films in different genres, superhero movies, fantasies, a crime movie, and with The Kingsman films, spy movies. I love the first one with Taron Egerton and Colin Firth. The second film is fine. Let's talk about this prequel film, The King's Man. The biggest issue I have with this movie is how it mixes fiction with historical events, which I think is something I don't think you should ever do in a movie. They put real-life historical figures and put them in a Legion of Doom-like group. I found this to be super cringy. I get it, a lot of time has passed since these events occurred, but I still don't think we should look back at them as like these silly, goofy things. They happened, they were important, and maybe we shouldn't touch upon them in films. Like this, anyway. I had the exact same issue with the Marvel film, The Eternals. Keep fiction and history separate. It also feels like Matthew Vaughn just wanted to make a movie about World War One, and he said to himself, listen, I have this hit franchise that everyone wants another movie to. I'll use this as a way to make my World War One movie. Because this movie does not have the same tones of the other Kingsman movies at all. The other Kingsman movies are hilarious. They're almost Austin Powers in Britain type of films. The biggest thing that they are are loads of fun. Like in those movies, you are getting ridiculously fun performances from Samuel L. Jackson, Taron Edgerton, Colin Firth. In this movie, you are getting none of that. Ray Fiennes is good in this movie, but his character is zero fun. The son is not having a good time. This movie is not a good time. It does not feel like a prequel to the other films. I'd rather Matthew Vaughn just give me his historically accurate World War One movie. I think that would have been more entertaining and I would have taken it more seriously. I was expecting this movie to be a good time and it wasn't. It wasn't a good time at all. This film is an example of how it's impossible to turn original IP into a franchise. Like The King's Men is a really fun movie with Taron Edgerton. He was a rising star. It was the movie that made him famous. We all had a good time. Now they've tried to turn this into a franchise and it has failed. Like the second movie is just weird. Like Julianne Moore is just out here trying to eat people. That movie really doesn't work. Yes, I can watch that movie. It's okay. It's not very good though. Not every hit movie should have a sequel or a prequel. Like I think The King's Men should have been a one hit wonder. It is not worthy of being a franchise because it seems like Matthew Vaughn does not have any more stories worth telling. And again, I'm the biggest fan of Matthew Vaughn. He always delivers really good movies. I think Stardust is one of the most underrated films of our time. Layer Cake made Daniel Craig a movie star. This guy is one of my favorite directors, but his sequel films just don't work. It does feel like most of his movies don't lend well towards sequels, like the Kick-Ass sequel, Kick-Ass 2, which had Jim Carrey. Now, Matthew Vaughn did not direct that film, but he did produce it, and the first Kick-Ass movie is so much fun. Nicolas Cage is just wilding out in that film, 
but the sequel is really, really bad. So maybe he shouldn't try to create sequels and prequels, and that's fine again. All of his other movies are terrific. Just don't make sequels and prequels because they haven't worked out thus far. I am super excited for Matthew Vaughn's next film, Argyle. It features an all-star cast led by Henry Cavill, and it too is a spy movie. Like, this guy is great at making a spy movie. Make a fun spy movie, though. Like, The King's Man is way too serious. It's not fun at all. Watch those first two Kingsman movies, and then watch The King's Man, and you don't think there's any connection whatsoever other than the names of the films and the tailor shop that they go to. Other than that, there's zero connection. The first two Kingsman movies each made over $400 million, and The King's Man barely made over $100 million. And I think, yes, there's a pandemic going on, but I think the biggest reason why those movies were hits and this one isn't is because of Taron Edgerton. He has become synonymous with the franchise. I think one of the biggest mistakes of this movie is to not have him involved in any way whatsoever. I get it. It's a prequel. You want to see how we built the whole organization, but the audience doesn't care. The audience wants Taron Edgerton because he's a young, viable movie star. And as great as Ray Fiennes is as an actor, he's really not a great selling point for box office success. He's usually a role player in these type of movies. The Harry Potter films, the Bond movies. He's not selling the tickets. He's just the big bad guy or the mentor figure in those movies. Now you have him leading your franchise. I think this movie was a setup for failure. If this movie was the third film in the Kingsman franchise that starred Taron Edgerton, it would have been a box office hit even during a pandemic. It would have made way more than $125 million because when we think of this franchise, we think of him. Yeah, it's like people will say this movie didn't do very well because it's a bad movie. Well, there are some movies that people are saying are bad that are being hits. Uncharted is not a very good film from all people's estimations, yet it's making a boatload of money. And why is that? Because Tom Holland is the lead of that film. If this movie had Edgerton, it would be making a whole ton of money because those young movie stars are the ones we want to see. The people that can sell movies are movie stars. Movie stars matter. Don't listen to people. They do matter. Tom Holland can sell Uncharted because of Spider-Man. People want to see Taron Egerton, especially if it's in a Kingsman movie. It's the franchise that turned him into a movie star and since then he's been in Rocketman. He is a viable movie star and to not include him in your movie whatsoever is the biggest failure of the film because I think if he were involved, the movie would have been a bigger hit and because he's not, it's a box office failure. All in all, I think this should be the last movie that involves the Kingsman. Like, we've been there and done that. I don't need more movie stars in these movies. I think we've seen everywhere this franchise can go. And again, I don't even think it deserves to be a franchise because really they've only made one really good to great movie out of it and it's the first one. The movie should have been a one-hit wonder. Let it lie. It doesn't need to keep going. I have fear that Matthew Vaughn is going to have it keep going because he clearly thinks of this as his franchise. I think of it as a failed franchise. I find it really ironic, by the way, that the first Kingsman movie felt like a satire on spy movies, and now they're out here making The King's Man, which takes itself way too seriously as a spy movie. Am I the only one who finds this ironic? Hopefully, this is the sad ending to this franchise, because 
because I don't need it to keep going. I don't need it. I'll just keep watching the first one, which is endlessly fun and entertaining. The King's Man, however, is not. Thanks for listening to this edition of Pop Culture Spotlight. I'm Cameron McKinney, and there'll be a new episode of the podcast every Thursday. And I highly recommend you go back and watch the films of Dakota Johnson and check out the after party. Next week on the podcast, it's a big one as I'm talking about the movie The Batman starring Robert Pattinson, Zoe Kravitz, and Paul Dano in season two of Euphoria. So tune into that and please rate, review, and subscribe. <laughs>